So we're going to be, like I said, in 2 Corinthians today, verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. And just a quick backstory, because we've been in a series uh, where we're starting to unpack more about prayer and how do we build lives of prayer, how do we become a people of prayer rather than just a people who pray. It's kind of what we devoted the whole year to, right? Um, we're, we're in an important moment, though, as a church right now where uh, part of my role as an elder in the church is to just keep my hand on the pulse of discipleship as a church body, as a community. So how are we serving each other? How are we embracing the teachings of Jesus together? How are we, um, how are we loving and serving those in need of mercy and justice around us and among us? Um, and these uh, times in the year, in June, are interesting for us because it's when we start to assess finances as a church. Okay, um, we do our budget year from July through June, and so the end of our fiscal year is the end of this year for you, like accounting nerds. You're like, oh, fiscal year, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my language. Um, for others of you, sure, cool, sounds good. But it's important for us to take stewardship seriously as a people, especially in a moment where uh, leadership and all these things that we're starting to see the the ways that it can be corrupted and misused. Money is something that's very commonly. Um, um, entangled with worldly desire and abusive leadership. And so, um, like Dustin said, tonight we're going to be talking about our a budget proposal for next year and mission partners. We'll get to see it and ask questions and look back on the last year and how things were spent and then actually get to vote later on about whether to approve and, and give the stamp of approval for a budget. Okay, so if you're not a mission partner, encourage you, go fill out the form, scan the QR code, and then we'd love to have you come with us tonight and become more of an owner of the church body than just kind of being here and being present. Anyway, all of that to say, these are the moments where I just ask, okay, what has God done among us as a people, and how is our, our, our discipleship to Jesus in one of the most awkward to talk about in our day and age places with finances, okay? And I approach this unapologetically because Jesus talked about money a whole heck of a lot, but also aware that so much guilt and weirdness can be kind of bundled up with money. And so in a totally non-condemning kind of approach, I want to break down for us today um, what scripture has to say about how our following Jesus affects the way that we steward what he gives to us in finances, okay? Here's why it's really important. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're here and you're like, man, this is the wrong week to be here. I am not interested in this. This is irrelevant to me. What I hope that you take away is a, a vision for God's generosity to us that shapes the way that we live generously for others. And secondly, hopefully you see a way that we can actually live with regard to our money that's not anxious, that's not afraid, that knows no matter what happens around me or in my own life, I have a Father in heaven who cares for me. I mean, just think about all the fear right now about layoffs, rolling layoffs, right? Some of you have even been laid off in the midst of all of that, especially in the tech sector. Um, if that's you, you have a Father in heaven who will provide for you. And you have a church family that will rally around you and make sure that you don't go a month without being able to make rent. 
So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, know, see the life of, of God among us and through us. And if you are a follower of Jesus, yes, see some of the wisdom of what Scripture says and calls us to about how we live with regard to our money. But let your heart be brimming with eager anticipation at what you are invited into by the God of the universe today. Can we do that? Can we do that? Yes, we can. I believe in us. All right. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Can you stand with me as we read Scripture? And why don't we read this all together out loud? We love doing this because we are one body together. We follow Jesus together. We're not one or a few leaders who are trying to, you know, do something among us, but we all participate in our faith. That's what, to follow Jesus, that's what it means with the church. So um, if you can, read out of the CSB. It's in the handout or in your Bible. Um, and then I will pray. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we want to hear your voice today. We want to see your splendor, your beauty, your goodness. Help us to feel your goodness afresh this morning as your people. Holy Spirit, please help us to... Um, simultaneously look at our lives with uh, a vision for what you have entrusted to us and help us to be purposeful in that, but help us to hear your invitation that the world is brimming with your work and you invite us to participate and actually to get so near to your work that we would become conduits for it. Refresh our vision this morning of you, of us, and of the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can take a seat. So we are jumping into the middle of uh, the letter in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter to this church that the Apostle Paul wrote, um, the place of Corinth, the city of Corinth, hence Corinthians. We're jumping in in the middle, and so what I want to do is give us a tiny bit of context so that we know what we're reading. The Apostle Paul has arranged for this church at Corinth where he went and helped plant and start this community of Christ followers. Um, he's arranged for them to make a contribution, a collective gift among them for the church at Jerusalem, which is where um, the following of Jesus, the, the early church started in Jerusalem, but it was a very hard place for people to follow Jesus because for many of them, they were coming um, not necessarily out of their Judaism, but they were believing that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. 
And so they were following him in the midst of a context that was opposed in many ways to that under the Roman Empire and in all the religious tradition and history. And so Paul was arranging for the church at Corinth to make a gift, a contribution to the church in Jerusalem, which was very impoverished. And so Paul builds this argument through chapter 8 saying, hey, you guys have prepared this gift. Please do it. Do it with joy. Here's why. Um, Their need is supplied by your surplus that one day their surplus might help you in your need one day. That's how the kingdom kind of operates. And then Paul lifts up the hood on what it means to follow Jesus with regard to our money in the verses that we're in to encourage them that what they're doing is not unseen by God that they're actually participating with him in their discipleship. So that's where we are. We're going to take a few principles here. We're going to look at them, look at their meaning for us as those who want to follow Jesus with all that we have, what it means to live Jesus-centered with regard to our money, and then some practicals beyond that, okay? So first thing, principles for relating to money as kingdom of God's citizens. It's my assumption that if you're here this morning, if TCLA is your church family, you desire to live Jesus-centered, and that means not only our hearts, not only our minds, not only our bodies, but our wallets as well. So some principles for that. First one that we can take from this scripture. First, money is ammunition for the mission of God, not irrelevant to our worship. Money is ammunition for the mission of God, not irrelevant to our worship. Look at verse 6. Paul says the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Here's what Paul's saying. God, who is above all things, he's the creator, chooses to work through human agency to transform the world. God, who's over everything, uses human agency to do His will in the world and to transform the world. Paul is trying to increase the vision of the Corinthian church to see that God gives fruit in proportion to their giving. I mean, that's just plainly what it says, right? Now, we don't live in, agricultural, in an agricultural society, so it, let me break it down a little bit for us. You plant seeds in the ground, and then things grow. <laughs> if you put a few seeds in the ground, a few things grow. If you put a lot of seeds in the ground, more things grow. Ah, that's where the grocery store stuff comes from. Yeah, so what Paul's saying is, with God, the same principle holds true. With God, let me correct that. With God regarding your money, the same principle holds true. If you sow or plant seed, if you generously give away, you will bear much fruit. If you give away or sow ungenerously or with little, you'll bear little fruit. So just on the surface, what Paul's trying to help us see is that what we believe with regarding 
money and how it relates to God and God and how he relates to us, we tend to separate those things. We tend to think that God is just the high up version of him that's sort of disaffected, disconnected. There's no real if-then kind of formula to the way that we relate to him. It's not formulaic, but God is a father who leans in and wants to involve us in his work. Anyone ever go to like go with your parents to work day or like bring your kids to a bring your kids to work day thing? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what God does. That's what God is like. He, he wants to involve us in his work, but we actually need to participate in that work in order for him to move because here's what God will not do. God will not use people who are his children who choose not to obey him, who choose to reject his principles of his kingdom and bless them as though they were being obedient. He wouldn't be a good father then because he wouldn't be forming us into kingdom citizens. We wouldn't actually be learning how the grain of the universe works if he just said, oh, you know what, you guys are messing it up and stingy and not really doing it, but you know, I'll just pour out fruit on you anyway. Now, as an aside, God's mercy and grace always outpace us. He is generous and gives us what we don't deserve. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. But what I am saying is in the normal operations of discipleship among the people of God, when they're planted in a city that God loves and desires to come to him too and know him, the general principle is the more we pour out, the more fruit God brings in. The best investment you can make with your money, your time, and your talent is to give it to the cause and kingdom of Jesus. He's the only investment that won't go down. He's the only employer who won't lay you off in lean times. His kingdom doesn't include planned obsolescence like your iPhone 14. God is a good king. He's leaning in to empower the faithful giving of his people. You give, he celebrates, and the Spirit fills the gift with the power of heaven on earth. When we give to the church or to missionaries going overseas or to the care of foster kids or to the unhoused friends that we have, we are using money to transform the brokenness of the world by the healing generosity of God. Our giving is an empty vessel. It's not mechanical, it's relational. That God fills with his overflowing power and generosity. Now, for the burdened and anxious among us, you may already be thinking, this is just more for me to do. I already have so many cares in my life right now. This requires attention and focus, and I feel like I'm barely holding it together. As I was um, actually going to sleep last night, I felt a ton of anxiety, which is not normal for me most of the time. As I was praying and reflecting about it this morning, um, I wondered if that was God cueing me into a possibility that many of us are coming in here with anxiety and fear. And so I thought through a little bit, how does this help in that place? Here's how this helps. Money is one of the most tangible things we have. I mean, you, you have a bank account, you have a wallet, and if you are old school and have this stuff called cash in it, you give it to someone and it is exchanged for um, a service or a good. 
Most of life is not tangible like that. Most of the things that you're probably anxious about are not so much that. Maybe future that. But it's the relationships. It's our fear of failure. It's, it's the things that we're responsible for. Here's how money can help us in all of life when we learn to steward it in such a way. When you give tangibly and feel the cost of it and you see God show up, God is the same with regard to money as he is with regard to time, as he is with regard to your courage and speaking to people and praying for people with regard to Jesus. All the intangible stuff, it's the same God as the one with the tangible stuff of money. And so as we live generously and we see God reward us and help us, we can know that in all the other stuff that we're anxious about and we seek to be faithful with him, he will prove faithful there too. And so don't see this as increasing anxiety. See this as possibly a balm to anxiety. Because God calls us not into burdens, into freedom. And as we experience freedom from something like money, you do know that we live in a very greedy culture. I mean, our our culture is hardwired with greed. Our whole economic system is hardwired by greed. Um, investments, stock market, uh, if you're familiar with the stock market, um, there's a fiduciary responsibility upon CEOs to make sure that they are doing with their decisions in the company what is best for the financial value of the stock. That's called placing money at the top of the value structure rather than other things like human worth and dignity, like doing justice and caring for the environment that we've been entrusted with. That's just called greed. And so we need to, we need to know we have those tendrils wrapped around our hearts and our minds. And so when God calls us to generosity, he's calling us to freedom and joy because the way that we're supposed to live in freedom is God entrusts things to us. We own nothing. We're stewards of all that we have. And then we say, Lord, how do you want me to use this? Oh, over, th over there. Yes, let me give. That requires a kind of freedom externally and a kind of joy internally that isn't connected to the money that you're given. So, as followers of Jesus, we need to do everything that we can to cut off the kind of desire, seeing the cars that are driven around here, seeing the homes that are built around here, to say a life of luxury is contradictory to the kingdom of God. Real quiet. Now, what I'm not saying is having wealth is contradictory to the kingdom of God. Living, setting your heart on a life of luxury, that is, spending lavishly on self so that my life is marked by that lavishness, is contradictory to the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what you do with your money directs your internal heart to love something. And God desires that that heart would be pointed towards God and love 
for others. But we got to do something quick. What is generosity? Paul said, whoever sows generously will reap generously. The person who sows sparingly will, will reap sparingly. I, it, we, I think we kind of assume that giving anything is generosity. So, like, full, full disclosure, um, I've raised a lot of financial support for myself as a, uh, um, we're fundraised, okay? We planted the church when we started, we were fundraised. We're still partially fundraised. I've raised support for the commons, for outside organizations and churches. And there's this impulse in me that wants to say, wow, thank you for your generous gift. And I started to realize, wait, why am I calling it generous? Why isn't it just thank you for your gift? And it revealed in me that I think giving anything is generosity. But here, Paul makes a distinction. The one who sows sparingly is still giving. The one who sows generously is giving beyond that. Here's what's important for us. There is a reasonable, expected baseline in what we give. It is not generosity. It's what is due. So in the Old Testament, they were expected to give 10% of their income to the operation of the temple. There were other percentages that were given to the operation of Israel, right? Taxes, we call them. In the New Testament, there's no number defined, right? So people argue, do we force 10% on people? Do we force more? Do we say, yeah, just give whatever you want? Well, we have more grace in the New Testament revealed to us in Jesus than they had in the Old Testament. There's no number defined. Now give, as Paul says, not begrudgingly, but joyfully, generously. And so generously that you might reap a ton of fruit. So it seems to me that a helpful way to understand what a baseline is, is to say, Lord, I want to give as I've decided in my heart, as you say here in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, and I want to decide with you so that my conscience can be upright before you and I can say, Lord, this is the first fruits of what I'm giving to you. This is the percentage of my income that I'm giving to you regardless of what you entrust to me. It's not spontaneous. It's, it's what I believe you would have for me as a baseline. And I'm not going to call it generosity. I'm going to call it an offering, a thank you for what you have given to me. Now, what that percentage is can be very contextual, okay? My wife and I, Kate, um, for our home, it's changed over time. I first met Jesus, and I was like, I can do 10%. That's what they did back then. I don't have a lot of obligations. I was a student. I was working a job as a, as a bus boy, and um, I would give 10%, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's like a whole iPad that I'm giving to the church, not actually, right? But the amount of money. And whoa. And at first there was this shock. And this like, do I really want to do that? And God was so kind in helping me to see the joy of being able to do that and the freedom from stuff. The new iPad would come out and I'd be like, I'm giving that away. This is great. And then Kate and I got married and uh, we graduated from college. We we're like, oh my gosh. We have so much money. We, we now, we have one rent instead of two rents. This is crazy. 
Now, crazy was I was making $28,500 as a new staff member in a church, freshly graduated from college. She was making like 35. She was the breadwinner. And we said, we have so much money. We don't even know what to do with all this money. Let's do something crazy. This is all the grace of God. This is not an ounce of bragging, but I think we need to, to hear an experiment putting God to the test. We said, what if we give 20% to the church? And you need to know, we, we budget generosity to other people and causes in addition to that. That's not everything. And we were excited about what God was doing around us, and we gave that. And we gave it joyfully. We felt so free. And then God called us to plant a church. And we moved down here. And our support went like this. Down and down and down and down and down. We were very desperate. We said, Lord, um, we don't know if we can give so much. And so we, we dropped it down. I think it was something like 8% or something like that. And we decided in our hearts that that's what we could do. And then this, the income stabilized back up top, 10%. And now, just so you all know, I'm up here as someone who's practicing it as best as we can. Um, we give 12% of our income to TCLA. You need to hear that? I know some of you are like, oh, bragging. I am not bragging. What I'm trying to do is help you hear integrity in leadership and that you can live it. I have... One, two, three kids <laughs> in a two-bedroom apartment, give that, um, and you can ask Dustin, our treasurer, it's not because we're rolling in it with a huge salary from TCLA, okay? And I'm, I, like, uh, and I'm not, we're paid well, we're, we're compensated, okay? This is weird, but roll with it. <laughs> so... You need to hear me saying, I'm not saying 12% is generous. I'm saying I decided in our hearts. We decided in our hearts. This is thanks back to God. Some of you are like, this is, this is insanity. It's not luck. It's grace. That's what Paul says here. When we decide in our hearts to take God at his word, and it doesn't stay theoretical in our hearts, what we find is though it feels like we're taking the first step, God lavishes his kindness on us. Now, some of you are like, ha, 10% of my income is like negative $4,000 a year because I'm on debt. <laughs> all right, all right, I know. That's where it, it does get complicated. That's why it's not, this is what you need to give and this is faithful for all. Now, some of you, though, have capacity to learn to start giving, okay? So maybe for you, living on whatever it is, I don't know what even the cost of living for a student is, I don't even want to know what it is, I do want to know, we'll talk about it afterwards, <laughs> but maybe for you, it's literally, I'm going to fast for through one lunch a week, and I'm going to use that money to give. It's money I would have been spending, it's nothing over and above what I would have been spending anyway, going a little hungry so that I can learn a new way to give. Here's the principle. Jesus taught us, faithful with little, faithful with much. Do not allow your debt, do not allow your little to tell you, I'll be faithful later. 
because you won't be. That's what Jesus tells you. You won't be. You can't think so highly of yourself. Learn it now so that I can entrust more to you. Not prosperity gospel. It's not uh, you give $10, God gives you 100 But it's you have proven yourself a trustworthy steward. I will joyfully entrust more to you. And then if you pass through that faithfully, I'll entrust more to you, whether materially or spiritually or whatever it might be. Do you see how the kingdom works? Because God, who is the center of the kingdom, works like this. He's eager to involve you in what he's doing here in Westwood, in Los Angeles, in your workplace, in TCLA. But he's not going to force his generosity on you. For some of you, this is really good news because maybe you just haven't been been pressing your faith into these areas that feel more like the periphery. And so you feel like, man, Lord, where are you? And he's just saying, yeah, come to me out here. Meet me here. And I'll show you how far I'm willing to go and work through little old you. So, principle one, money is ammunition for the mission of God, not irrelevant to our worship. Let's seek to be followers of Jesus who believe money serves a purpose as a tool. Not call everything generous, but view faithful giving and generous giving over and above that as something to be stewarded for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of self. Principle two, following Jesus frees us from the anxiety and greed that money brings, not that money brings, that the idol of money brings for joy in giving. This is a very simple statement. 2 Corinthians 9.7, I've alluded to it already. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. The gospel produces an invitation in us, not compulsion. Um, The gospel lays over us obligation, but extends to us mercy. The gospel lays over us the invitation to participate in the kingdom of God, but promises us his power. That's the recipe and the tension for joy. We can wrestle our way into joy when it comes to stewarding our treasure, our time, and our talent. Okay? So, The point is, don't let your heart remain embittered or begrudging when it comes to seeking to be obedient to Jesus. The whole point. Following Jesus frees us from anxiety or greed with the idol of money for joy in generosity. Okay, third principle, last one. God's kingdom abundance has overtaken the world's scarcity. God's kingdom abundance has overtaken the world's scarcity. Probably our normal internal operating system is one of competition and scarcity. Right? There's a reasonable way that we could draw that conclusion. Um, Classes that grade on bell curves. Jobs that promote based on performance. Right? The world does operate in that way, but the world does not have the final say about reality. Not like what, ex- what happens in the church. No, reality. 
when Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand, he was saying, the final say in your life, your lived experience, no longer has to be what the world says about you. It's the kingdom of God. If you live with the grain of the kingdom of God that has defeated the kingdom of the world that is coming to an end and has an, a, an expiration date, you will be living in the grain of the universe because you'll be living according to the grain of God. That's what Paul says in verse 8 and 9. He says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, all right, everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. When you imagine how the world works in your mind's eye, do you feel scarcity that limits your imagination surrounding money and the freedom you have with it to be generous or abundance and overflow like a waterfall directed towards those who prove themselves willing givers? What we envision in that scenario is directly tied to how we envision God. Because God's at the center of the universe. And so if we feel limited by scarcity, it's because we have a small vision of God. Probably one that says, my means materially are up to me. Sure, God will spiritually bless me. And that's called Gnosticism, where we believe that the spiritual is the realm of God and the physical is up to like the lower stuff. And that's where we just got to kind of duke it out to provide for ourselves. But Paul says... God is abundant in his lavish grace. Now, we'll never be generous recipients of God's provision without rethinking how we view the world. You know, we all love it when, so Brian was up here teaching, or uh, sharing his experience of the, uh, the With God Night, and I know many of you, he teaches on Sundays for us, and you enjoy and love when he gets to teach. He's a very busy grad student. Um, so I figured, well, why not just quote him? <laughs> he wrote a book called Surplus, Fearless Generosity in, oh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Let's see what he has to say. Speaking about verse 7, what we just read, I'm not even going to try. I was thinking, can I try and emulate his voice and cadence? And I'm not going to do it. It'll be bad and distracting from the essence. So this is what he says. Notice the two elements of Paul's encouragement. First, if the Corinthians were worried about their own needs, Paul tells them that God is able to give them all sufficiency in everything. They will have enough for their own needs. Second, beyond this, God can also provide them an abundance for every good deed. That is, they will have a surplus to give away. And so the principle for the Corinthians and for us is this. God is able to give you enough for your own needs and a surplus to give away. This is an incredible possibility. And if we're going to have the same sort of confidence that Paul had, we must begin by adjusting our view of God. In this verse, who is the one who is generous? 
Is it true that the Corinthians are to be givers? To, it is true that the Corinthians are to be givers, deploying their abundance in good deeds. But really, they are recipients, first of all. God is the one who gives them both the supply for their own needs and the abundance to use for others. He is, first and foremost, the abundant giver out of the overflow of his grace. So if you ever need an audiobook reader. No, the point is this. We tend to worry about our future when in reality God's promise is security for our future and surplus to give away, to use, in the words I use, as ammunition for the mission, to use it and see God bless it with his power to see the kingdom of God come. Just imagine if we lived so generously like the early church did that people around us would think we're crazy. Like, sometimes, you know, we walk around through our day, and it seems almost like Jesus is just irrelevant to everybody, right? But if suddenly we lived with such freedom that we, we could give away joyfully, and people would say, do you get, like, some private inheritance or something like that? I mean, I know what your job is. How, why live this way? And we speak of Jesus as a reality that is lived and a power that has changed us. And think about the difference that could be made in the giving away of our money to steward for mercy and justice and the impact that God would be pleased to make through that all around us. And even just the kind generosity of hospitality and blessing people, that's why we do stuff before the gathering to give away to people. It's why we do lunch, to be able to let the first foot in participating among our church family be one of, of welcome, come. Like, we, we have to budget like 10% of all of our money every year for food to do that. And it's worth it. So, some practical takeaways, okay? Very practical takeaways. We're not going to be comprehensive here because the stewardship um, teaching is going to be in the back, the discussion table. Um, I would encourage you to go back there. Um, yeah, you should go back there. If you don't have a budget, you should go back there. Um, if you have questions or if you have problems with things that I'm saying, you should go back there and ask Dustin those questions. <laughs> so... Practicals. Um, our church community budgets in such a way that we hope is an example for how your household, whether you're a roommate with three others, call that your personal household, or a family household, we budget our church family in such a way that we believe you could budget your family. Okay? So we give away 15% of everything that's given internally. We have partners around the city, around the world, that we give away joyously. We budget based on the question, what does growing toward faithfulness as disciples look like, not what do we need to keep things operating? Or, or this is the real like church planter type thing, what do we need to go to the next level? Okay, 
When we budget for growth, we're not asking, how do we need to increase our programs? We're asking, whoa, we grew a lot in the last year. What would faithful giving among more people look like? So that we could really test whether the Spirit is at work and the kingdom's advancing among us. So, on a monthly basis, we have between 45 and 60 people give. Okay? I'm wildly encouraged that if you're giving, that you're giving. I'm wildly encouraged about almost everything in the midst of our church and what God's doing. There's not a hint of begrudgingness in me. But there is a longing to say, we've grown a lot people-wise and depth-wise in the last 12 months. The old thing is no longer a measuring stick for faithfulness with the new thing. And so when you come to the mission partner meeting tonight, we're going we're to say, here's how we're increasing it. How should we give money away and how should we serve people better around us? But it wasn't based on, let's come up with a really cool vision and then ask you guys to fund it. It's about discipleship. And so if you're not giving, and this is your church family, I want to call you to start giving. Take a step, right? You can scan the QR code, and there's a giving link. There's, there's an old school box that's way better than our old, old school box over here by the door. It even has a lock on it, so it's, you know it's trustworthy. If someone really wants to grab that thing and walk down the street with it, they're going to look weird, and they'll have a lock to deal with. Yeah. If you are giving something, consider what generosity would look like. And hey, if you're not giving, consider what generosity would look like. Giving to the local church family, giving beyond that, budgeting $100 just to say, I have this planned to give away to someone, to use to meet needs. I could do 5%, 10%, 15% for the church family, and then beyond that, and let's just see what God will do. Test him for three months, okay? If he doesn't show up for you, um... We've said this in the past, and I wasn't planning on saying this. We'll give you your money back. I'm dead serious. Is that funny? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, I'm dead serious. Because what you will experience is the reality of Jesus. All right. If you are giving generously, give thanks to God that he's providing for you and ask him to continue to provide for you so that you could um, steward it with continued generosity. If you don't have an intentional plan for stewarding your money, some people call it a budget, some people call it a stewardship plan or my hilarious giving plan, doesn't matter what you want to call it, the word in the text for cheerful giver is hilarion, and it's where we get the word hilarious. Like Paul's literally saying, God wants you to give away with hilarity, with laughter. So maybe you want to call it your hilarious giving plan. Please, for the sake of the kingdom in our generation, make a plan. You will not slip into sacrificial generosity. We slip into idolatry. Be intentional.